Let's open our Bibles together. Uh, let's open to the book of Deuteronomy. If you would grab Deuteronomy, and then uh, we will find traction in Deuteronomy. Does this have an echo to it? A little bit? We're going to find traction in Deuteronomy in the first eight chapters. Then we're also going to grab Numbers 13 and 14. And we will also consider Acts 13. Um, so Deuteronomy 1 through 8. Not just chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, but the first eight chapters. And then Numbers 13 and 14. We're going to aerial view it, though. We're not going to line by line. Although I would encourage you, just for the consideration of substance that will help to fill in some of the statements that I make, uh, I realize I'm going to make comments on things that I've been immersing myself in that may not have the same framework for you because you might not have been in the first eight chapters of Deuteronomy the way that I have been. And so the way that I comment on them may seem a little bizarre, although it's there and it'll be important for you to see it yourself and not just take my word for it. So Deuteronomy 1 through 8, Numbers 13 and 14 and then Acts 13. Um, I want to, in some ways, consider the effect of a word from the Lord and what could potentially happen in or to our lives if God were to actually speak to us. Um, it's necessary. There's a theme throughout uh, Exodus, throughout Leviticus, throughout Deuteronomy, throughout Numbers, um, and the phrase, Moses spoke as God had commanded him, we find frequently throughout the text. Now, I know that in a New Covenant-type scenario, we are no longer relating to Moses as our primary access to God. Right? We're not those who shrink back in fear from what they saw on the mount in Exodus 19, and have determined that it would be better for us to have a mediator. Uh, we know that the veil has been torn. We have intimate access to the person of the Lord ourselves. Now, with unveiled face, like Corinthians, we behold him. Now, also, like Corinthians, the one that gives himself to the Lord, the two become one, or they experience a union. However, though, there are absolutely times moments, seasons, where God will use people in order to speak, in order to share his desires, uh, right? We are all a spokesman um, if our reference is God can even use donkeys to preach, right? Which means none of us are disqualified, feeling as if we don't have the resume, the pedigree. Um, in a moment, the Spirit of the Lord can inspire certain comments, statements from the heart of God into the direction of others. And just thinking about what could happen if we were sober enough in order to realize that God still desires to say things to us, especially in a covenantal planting sense where our lives are knit together as a people here as a part of a family that God is using to build a house for himself in our city. To recognize that the things that the Lord shares with us is not just for our critique, 
It's not just random information where we can hold it in the center of the room and then determine how we felt about it or what we're going to choose to do with it. Um, I choose to believe that God is stirring the hearts of those that are speaking on his behalf. Um, not just saying that about myself, although I obviously absolutely believe that, um, but not just for the sense of entertainment or personal critique again. But there's a particular leadership that God desires um, for himself in each one of our own lives that he will not forfeit um, because he is deserving of a people that would be a holy possession for him. And this is what we find, right? God starts in the beginning and he wants a people that will be his, that are going to cultivate a particular space of intimate fellowship and then out of that, they're going to extend the boundaries of the garden to the furthest corners of the earth. Well, the plan initially failed miserably, but God is still committed to his desire. Paul would call it his eternal purpose. And from the exile of the garden, you find that God is already instituted or unleashed a plan in creation in order to conquer the powers and to redeem creation, the created order and those who seem to compromise the things that God desired by partnering with an agenda of corruption, that being the original family, Adam and Eve. Well, when we come to Exodus, we realize that God hasn't lost his bearings, his traction. On the Mount Sinai episode, he says, I still want the people that I want. Um, as a matter of fact, I've staked my own name and glory on being able to fulfill this. I'm not giving up on this plan, like he tells Abraham. I haven't forgotten about these things. I'm still going to give you a land, I'm still going to make you a people, and I'm still going to bring in the Gentiles, which is the gospel promise that we find in Genesis 15. But we find that God himself walks between the two animals, or the halves, the sacrifice. He's telling Abraham, this has nothing to do with you. You're actually never going to be able to uphold your end of the bargain. But I've determined out of my own desire to do these things, and I am absolutely going to accomplish them. They're not contingent upon your success or upon your ability to stay faithful to me. It's my own name that I've staked on this. It's my own glory that I've attached to these conditions, if you would, or these promises that have been made to Abraham. And we find at the Exodus encounter that God hasn't forgotten he says, I still want a people that are going to be my holy possession. I'm still going to bring you into a land. Only there the descriptive term is flowing with milk and a land flowing with honey. And then he says, I'm going to use you as a city on a hill, as a holy provocation. I'm going to use what I do in the midst of you. And as I sanctify my own name among you, as a jealous God who can transform a corrupt people, I'm going to use you as an example or as an evidence to provoke the nations. And I'm going to have the Gentiles too. Why? Because this is the original condition that I set forth. To give you land, to have a people, and to harvest the Gentiles. Well, as you continue walking through, uh, we're going to look here at Deuteronomy in a few moments because I believe... Um, the Lord has given me a word for us today that is in some way prophetic. And what I mean by prophetic, I don't mean I'm going to tell you your birthday 
or your home address or something of that nature. Um, we need to get off of uh, our wow factor, right, with uh, how easily we're enamored with man and his gift or his charisma or personality. Um, prophetic in the nature of the way that the prophets were prophetic. They were deeply immersed in scripture, right? Prophetic wasn't something that was separate from Bible, <laughs> right? Prophetic wasn't something that was separate from Bible. They were deeply immersed in the scriptures. Um, and whether you like it or not, they didn't rise every year with a new word for the children of Israel. <laughs> they had Bible verses where they contextualized their circumstance under the leadership of God and created a framework of obedience or disobedience with blessing or consequences. Because God is committed to what God is committed to. And understanding that, they were able to be prophetic. Um, so I would suggest if we don't understand the biblical narrative, it would be virtually impossible for us to be prophetic in the way that God desires prophetic. Amen. But as we come towards Deuteronomy, uh, I believe the Lord has given me a word for us. Um, and in some ways, my heart is gripped and I'm very sobered by sharing the things that I'm going to share because of the potential consequence of what could and should happen in the life of the work that we're all a part of. Um, you'll understand as we get into this. I'm just going to say the things that I feel to say and not necessarily um, attempt to preach my way through the chapters, if that's all right. Um, it's time to go up from here. It is time to go up from here. When you open up Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy is very intentional in the first chapter, the second and third verse, gives you the details of the journey. It says it was an 11-day journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. However, they're in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. Jump down to verse 6. And the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn over to chapter 2. We find the exact same words. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You've circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. The Lord spoke to me, and I'll say that lightly, and I don't say that in some charismania way as if to try and leverage some particular influence it's just those of you who know the voice of the Lord right we know when God is attempting to get our attention uh, now sometimes when we're we're growing which we all are um, it's in a multitude of counselors there's wisdom because at times we're not honestly um, able to or just honestly hearing the Lord the way that we think we are and that's why it requires a tribe it requires a people to help us come to particular conclusions because God is committed, he is covenanted to his intentions and not to our interpretations. God has not bound himself to your interpretations of what he's saying. 
He's bound himself to his intentions of what he actually said and what he intended by the things that he said or what it is that he revealed. And reading these verses, I felt as if my heart caught fire. What verses? You have stayed long enough at this mountain. You've circled this mountain long enough. It's now time to go up from here. The Lord made it clear to me that not everyone who is here is supposed to be here long term. Not everyone who's here is intended to be here long term. However, you can be here much longer than the Lord intends. Not everyone who's here is intended to be here long term. But you can be here for longer of a term than God intends. It's important that we understand that there's a difference. Um, the way you enter the soil matters to God. What I mean by that is there's different ways of entering soil. You can either be planted or you can be buried. You can be planted or you can be buried. And until we are able to discern God's purposes, we won't be able to have an appreciation for the season or the process for particular invitations that God might give to us. Because until we understand that God is trying to discipline us, we'll find that in chapter 6. He disciplines those that he loves because he considers them to be sons and daughters. Would be reminiscent of the writer of Hebrews echoing these same sentiments in chapter 12. God disciplines those that he loves. And in fact, without the disciplining, you can consider yourself to be illegitimate. Because it's the discipline that actually develops us to be delivered into destiny. Right? We, we have an ultimate fascination with destiny, which usually just means we're more preoccupied with doing something than we are actually becoming something. It just means that we've staked our uh, influence our success stories, all of the way that we consider value, and then even share what our lives are about with other people, we hang them all on what we do. But there is a mission that demands all of our lives that is um, irreverent of sorts to what our unique or individual assignments may be in any particular season. You rarely find God relating to someone based off of an assignment or an activity. He doesn't approach them as a plumber, as a barber, as a school teacher. These things are always secondary, third, but meaning they are lower on the scale than what the ultimate assignment is, which is becoming the people of God, which is being a son or a daughter which is actually developing as a transformed person. If you never actually discern that discipline is about your development, then you won't realize that because of God's desire to have a transformed people, therefore he has a desire to initiate discipline in your life. Because rarely without the disciplines do we find the necessary crucibles to transform us the way that God wants. And here in Deuteronomy, God speaks to them. And he says, you've been circling roundabout for far too long. 
And the Lord began to clear some things up in my heart pertaining to our work and our purpose as a people. We find part of those bearings in Acts 13, which we're obviously jealous for. You find a people whose primary identity is the people of God. There in Antioch, there's a church that's telling us that in Antioch, the people of God are gathering. Their lives are knit together. There is a way of life that they are committed to and developing. There is something happening there in that city that God is in the midst of them. Uh, If you remember, they actually send Barnabas to go and check out the recent happenings in Antioch. Not to find out if there's just a church, as we would know church, as an organizational, uh, political entity, or as some sort of event center. But they are sending Barnabas to see if there is actually a Jesus people. Meaning a people living in covenant loyalty to the Lord and with one another that are building for him a habitation by the way their lives are knit together. And the way their lives are knit together and them subscribing to a way of life together that is going to give God the context conducive to him actually abiding among them. This is what they send Barnabas to go find in chapter 11 of Acts. Well, then when he gets there, he realizes that he needs reinforcements. So he goes to get Paul. And together they go back. And they are there for a time. And while they are there, they are planted in the midst of a people pursuing God's purposes. They're not there. Now, I know that it's spoken of of Paul in other cities as a tent maker. Right? But we have to understand that a tent maker was not Paul's primary identification. And Paul was not tent making in Antioch. We don't have many details, but the details that we do have should give us an ultimate framework that should create a jealousy that puts a demand on all of our lives together under the consideration of us being the people of God in a particular city or in a local context together. They're there as a church, meaning as the people of God. And together as the people of God, they are together committing to a way of life. Now we have that in the text. They're there fasting, praying, ministering to the Lord as a way of life is the verb tense. It's not just in case of emergency, break glass and call a one day fasted effort. The idea is their life, the life that they're committed to together is actually one where they are together in life, worshiping, praying, fasting, interceding, ministering to the Lord because it was a way of life for them together. And we find that out of their commitment to be anchored or to be planted in the midst of God's people to pursue his purposes together, we find the leadership of the Spirit. Now, this is the part that we can't manufacture. You can't fake it. There's no way for you just to materially or even in ways that are hollow try to substitute this. We find that in a particular place, there are a people that have come under God's leadership and together as a way of life, they are planted, but they are in pursuit of something. They're planted, but they're in pursuit of something. They see the missional aspect of their way of life together. 
because our way of life together is missional. They see the missional aspect or component of their way of life together, and it actually produces or releases the voice of the Spirit and the revealing of God's desires in the midst of that company. Right? It's incredible to actually consider this. Their way of life provoked God to actually do something in the midst of them to commission people that were planted with them to connect them with his purposes. We oftentimes try to connect with the purpose without connecting with the planting. And this is part of the issue that we are going to consider throughout the chapters in Deuteronomy. Not everyone who is here is supposed to be here long term. We can use Acts 13 as a prophetic framework for us to consider who we are as a people, to realize what our planting and what our pursuit is to be, and then also to understand that God has particular purposes in mind through which he will assign or commission certain individuals from our midst to begin to fulfill. This is what we find in Acts 13. They're there planted, but they are in pursuit. And God is connecting them with his purpose. Um, it would be dangerous to pursue purpose without the condition of planting. It would be dangerous. And we're going to look at that in chapter 6 when God begins to tell them in Deuteronomy one of the reasons it's preventative of sorts that he conditions them with a particular discipline before he delivers them into assignment, destiny, or in chapter 6, the influence that is there with the surrounding people groups and the way of life that the nations have taken up. But we have to understand that not all of us that are in this room are supposed to be here long term. But God has actually sent you so that he can condition you. He sent you so that he can develop you. I'm not trying to get rid of our church, but what I am trying to do is obey the Lord and release people that are supposed to be commissioned. But you have to understand commissioning after conditioning. And this is the whole point. We think that because we get a dream or we get a vision or we have a particular ability that we're all of a sudden ready to do the thing that God has said to us. But there's a distance between the two points, between call and commission, which even Samuel spoke to us about when he was here in September. There's a distance between the two points, between call and commission, even as we find in Deuteronomy. God says, I called you out so that I could actually make you something. I called you out so that I could develop you, so that I could give you the conditions that would provide the necessary discipline, so that over time you would come under my leadership and I could transform you. And then as a transformed person, you'd be able to bear not just the weight of responsibility or activity, but all of the unique pressures that are also going to be associated with the influence that you are going to experience whenever I release you to go do the thing that I've commissioned you to do. It's important that we see it the right way. Because if we don't see it the right way, and what do I mean by that? I mean, most aren't able to discern the invitation that God gives them. 
And so when we're not able to discern the invitation that God gives us, then we begin to despise our season. And when we begin to despise our season for a lack of discernment, for a lack of discernment, meaning I can't see it. I don't understand it. Why would God be asking me to do what he's asking me to do? Why would he bring me to the place that he's brought me? Why would he be initiating a particular series of events? Why would he surround me with those people? Why would he put me in that church? Why would he move me to this city? If we don't discern God's invitation, then we inevitably end up despising our season. And when we end up despising our season, we end up derailing our alignment with God's ultimate purposes for our season. And because we don't discern, we derail. And when we derail, because we lack discernment, we don't have the grid to perceive the value that God is trying to create because we're looking at the conditions that we don't like. And looking at the conditions that we don't like ends up despising the invitation that God gives. Let's just make it super plain so that um, it doesn't seem parabolic. Right? Many come, and what we are about together is way too simple for them. It's not fancy enough. It's not decorated enough. It doesn't have the entertainment value, the draw, the pull. It doesn't have the magnetism, so to speak, in all of what are my wants or demands or the things that I feel I should be privy to. Right? We come and we begin to complain about the conditions, but we complain about the conditions because we can't discern God's invitation. We don't recognize what God is after by our planting in the midst of a people because of the discipline that he's trying to put on us. And we don't understand that God is more interested in my development than he is my entertainment. That God is actually trying to conform me. Which means that there are real things that God is trying to change about me. That God is not necessarily just celebrating everything that may be going on even though I'm unconditionally loved. There are absolute conditions to God wanting to develop me. I am loved unconditionally, but then he is conditionally trying to transform me. And because we come and we don't discern, we begin to complain. Because we can't see it. What is this all about? What is a way of life together? Bro, this is all just nonsense. It's way too simple. This isn't actually church. Right? We lack the necessary discernment to be able to be aware of God's precious invitation. And because we lack discernment, we end up extending the term. Because you can't make it any shorter than it's supposed to be. This isn't like, oh, well, if I just get planted the right way, then that's my quick fix card out of here. No, no, God knows your heart, right? That's where he gets us all. He knows our heart. You're like, oh, well, the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, that should be a scary thing for some. He does, right? That's not an exemption. That's an inclusion. He knows our hearts. And so it's not like, oh, well, if I just plant right, then all of a sudden God's going to somehow shift my season. No, that's not how it works. You can't make it any quicker than it's supposed to be, but you can absolutely make it longer than it should be. You can absolutely make it longer than it should be. Here in Deuteronomy 1 and 2, he reminds them, or I should say he prophetically charges them. 
These statements are charged prophetically because there's an invitation. It's not just a historical episode, but it's a reflection on attitude which comes out of posture. And posture is the difference between being planted or being buried. Posture is the difference between being planted or being buried. You see, because planting is ultimately towards a purpose. It's God has a a destiny. He has a design. There's a season with which works and circumstances are all working together in order for God to work all things together towards what it is that he has said is good. Buried is very different. It's lifeless. It's disconnected. It's despised. It's connected with fear and rejection. There's no enjoyment in the idea of burial because burial is often connected with death. And here God is prophetically charging them You've circled this mountain for way too long. What is he telling them? Your posture in this season is off. Your posture in this season is off. Well, where is he getting this from? Well, as you continue, we find in Deuteronomy 3 that the land has been conquered and territory is assigned. There's Moses' desire to see the land because he knows what God has promised even though he realizes he's compromised along the way. And the Lord actually gets angry. It's interesting when you read the verses and you just let them say what they're saying. God actually gets enraged and says, stop talking to me about this. (laughs) And he brings him up to the top of Pisgah so that he can look and see the land that he's going to bring the children of Israel into even though he won't get to partake of it himself because he's compromised along the way. And then he charges him for a transition of leadership. Actually bring Joshua into the equation and begin to strengthen him, for he's the one that's going to take them in. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I'm teaching you to perform so that you may live And go in and take possession of the land which the Lord is giving to you. Verse 6. So keep them and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse 7. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Verses 1 through 6, Moses is reminding them of the statutes and the judgments. These are the conditions. You being my people is not going to be a free-for-all. I'm going to expect you to commit to a way of life that I prescribe for you. This is the idea. This is what the commandments, this is what Sinai, this is the idea. I've betrothed you to myself. And until you understand the terms of marriage, you're never going to connect with the purpose of what the way of life is all about, right? Jewish weddings historically were three phases. There was the betrothal, there was legal marriage, and then there was the consummation. The betrothal was the actual engagement of sorts. It was the beginning of the marriage cycle. God says, I betrothed you to myself at Sinai. I am a jealous husband. I want a people for myself. 
Well, then there was the time period of legal marriage where it was legal because it had been initiated or enacted, but during the term of legal marriage, you began to live in a way that was going to condition you to actually consummate the marriage. God says, I betrothed you to myself at Sinai. And now we find the conditions of actually working out what this marriage is going to be about. Because there's a day of consummation. We would understand it in New Testament terms where Paul says, I betrothed you to a single husbandman, that being the person of Christ. He would have understood the terms as beginning again of sorts with the man Jesus who has not abandoned the plan or the desire. I betrothed you to a single husband, that being the person of Jesus. And now we would be in the period of legal marriage where the conditions of our betrothal is actually being worked out and walked out in our life as we anticipate what Revelation would say is that marriage supper of the Lamb, where this bridegroom will return to bring consummation to this betrothal experience and the legalities of sort to this marriage covenant that we are all a part of right now. But so God reminds them, that there are real conditions to us in cohabitation. I want to be here, but you're going to have to abide by the terms of this marriage. And he begins to remind them of the way of life that he's called them to. The way of life that he's called them to. And he says, I actually expect you to live it and not just know how to recite it. It's got to be lifestyle and not just language. He says, it's one of the ways that I'm going to be sanctified among you. Meaning, the way you live. The life that you commit to. He says, the nations are going to revere me because of your way of life. Which means that through the way of life, there's going to be a provoking of the surrounding nations. Because God will have the transformed people that he desires and that transformed company will be a provocation to the nations. He says, that I expect this to continue generationally. These are all in the first six verses. He says, teach them to your children. Which means that it's not just supposed to be something of a personal conviction that doesn't become public in the sense of its development or its influence upon those that we're responsible for. There's a baptism, meaning a way of life, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of my commandments. There is a teaching required in order for obedience to God's leadership to be real. Then as you continue, he begins to reveal to them that after they get in the land, they're going to begin to act corruptly because there's influence there waiting for them. And that anything that is alive in their hearts that's not been conditioned by the discipline that he's brought on them is going to come to the surface and it's actually going to become a snare for them. And he begins to reveal to them, we can look at some of these verses. We're in Deuteronomy 4. For instance, 10 and 11, the reminder of the Exodus 19 account. 12, 15 through 19. God revealed no image to you because he knows how prone your hearts are to form idols. 
He says, you saw him in the fire and heard his voice out of the cloud, but he intentionally didn't show you his form because he knows how easy it is for you to be given over to idols. 23 and 24, he says, don't forget, which is reminiscent of Proverbs, have no idols because your God is a consuming fire and he's a jealous God. Chapter 5, we have the recounting of the Ten Commandments and Moses' intercession for God's people and God's purposes. Chapter 6, look at verse 23 with me in chapter 6. It says, he brought us out so that he could bring us in. He brought us out so that he could bring us in. The exact language is he brought us out from there, meaning Egypt, in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our forefathers. There was an intention that God had that was connected to their discipline and their development. Well, when we don't have discernment, we consider that our season of development is futile. We look at it in vain. We get frustrated. We begin to despise when things aren't happening the way that we want, when God's not so easily just connecting us with all of the things that we think we want or deserve, for that matter. And chapter 7 is where it begins to get real. Chapter 7 is the challenge of encountering the influence of other people when you haven't been conditioned by the way of life that God prescribes. The challenge of the influence of other people when you haven't been conditioned by the way of life that God prescribes. God begins to tell them, there are people throughout the regions that are waiting for you. And when you get out there, your heart is going to sway from me. When you get out there, you're going to forget me because you're going to abandon my commandments. Now, what does this mean? In simple terms, it means that our nearness to God must be evidenced in our way of life. Your nearness to God is not just a statement. Your nearness to God is not just the adoption of a language. God tells them here, you're going to abandon me, you're going to stray, you're going to wander, you're going to act corruptly, you're going to worship other gods, you're going to bow low to other idols, you're going to begin to intermarry with their daughters and take their daughters for your sons, and you are going to abandon me. Well, in abandonment, he says, because you will no longer obey my commands. So the obedience to the commands coming under his influence and leadership that's evidenced in giving our lives to the way of life that he calls us to is the evidence that he says reveals whether we are near to him or not. 
And he says, when you get out there, those folks over there are going to influence you away from me, which means you're going to unplug from the way of life that I've called you to because your heart is going to be disconnected from me and my influence. And you will begin to be fascinated with them. You will begin to worship their gods. You will bow low to their idols. And so there's real challenge of encountering influence when we haven't been conditioned. And that conditioning is directly associated to the way of life that God calls us to. Let's look at chapter 8. And then we will attempt to wrap things up with a few statements. Chapter 8, verse 2, 5, and 16. Verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness for these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know or to find out what was in your heart. Whether you would actually keep his commandments or not. Let's listen to that again. He says, remember the way that God led you over the 40 years that you had with him in the wilderness. What was the purpose of their time? The purpose or the intentions of their time was so that God could humble them. So that God could humble them. So that God could, in essence, bring them low. By designing for them a season that would circumstantially bring them to the end of themselves. Bring them to the end of their own self-reliance and self-dependence. Bring them to the end of their own self-centeredness and self-absorption. Where they would stop worshipping themselves, or worse, worshipping the gods of the nations. Which is what he says to them even by delivering them from Egypt. Joshua charges them on the day before he dies and gives them a word before he dies. He says, remember that God delivered you because you worship the gods of Egypt. He says, you worship their gods and you bowed low to their idols. So the idea that they were mistreated and how bad we feel for them in the condition of slavery in Egypt No, part of their corruption was that they were worshiping the gods of Egypt, that they had actually abandoned the Lord, but that even in their abandonment, God's goodness was still to break into their circumstance and deliver them. And actually, even after he delivers them, when he betroths them, he gives them what is the wedding charge, which in essence is controversial in a sense, because not a single one of us would want to hear this on our wedding day. God says to them, I didn't choose you because there was anything special about you. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the best, because you were the biggest. Meaning the most in number, not in physicality. He says, I didn't choose you because of anything to do with you. I chose you because I made a decision about you. And I chose to set my affection on you. That's why I chose you, 
because I made a decision about you. And I have a desire that is at work in creation and it involves you. And I set my affection on you. That's my choice. It didn't have anything to do with your success or your failure. It didn't have anything to do with your resume. It didn't have anything to do with your capabilities or your abilities. It didn't have anything to do with how popular you are or how much resource you think you have. I made a choice about you and I betrothed you to me because I have a desire to do something and it involves you. Well, when we get out there, he reminds them. You wandered because God was trying to humble you. And not all of you passed the test, which we're going to look at that. He says God wanted to humble you and to test you, to find out what was actually in your heart, to see if you would really be willing to obey his commandments or not. Well, when you get to verse 5, he continues to remind them. Thus you are to know in your heart that he alone is God. And that it was actually the Lord that was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son that he loves. But then when you get to verse 16, we find the climax, if you would. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know. There's feasting in a season of development and discipline that oftentimes we go without because we despise our season for our lack of discernment. There's feasting. He fed you during that time period that he might humble you and that he might test you so that he could be good to you in the end. I want to revive some of your confidence in the goodness of God. I want to use a defibrillator, if you would, to those of us who feel as if we are laying lifeless or as if our life is on the line in the season that we've been in. Pertaining to the goodness of God and his faithfulness and his ability to fulfill everything that he has ever said to you. To fulfill everything that he's ever said to you. This is what happens when we don't discern our season. We feel disconnected from things that God has said to us. And we feel disconnected from things that God has said to us because we're not able to connect the dots to how the invitation of the season that we're in is actually going to fulfill the things that God has said. And so we end up disconnected from promises. We end up disconnected from the ability to connect faith with what we would call destiny. We end up buried rather than pursuing and thriving in our planting because we misunderstand based off of a lack of discernment what God is actually doing. Let me remind you as Isaiah gave prophetic exhortation to in Isaiah 55. God is not like you. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't do things like you. However, though, he's not a man that he would lie. And every word that God sends forth shall accomplish the purpose with which he intends for it to accomplish. Here, we understand that God isn't just testing them so that he can somehow awkwardly hover over them to chastise them in their inability to actually do the thing that he's called them to do. 
God is not some evil or corrupted, misaligned father that enjoys the mistreatment of his children. We see discipline as mistreatment rather than discipline as development. I don't punish my kids because I don't love them. I actually discipline them to better align them with the values that I'm trying to develop in them. And when they are acting outside of the values, then they need to be disciplined so that they can be more anchored, so that they can be more resolute, so that they can be more dedicated, not just for the fear of punishment, but when we will actually prioritize when confronted with other influence to not act corruptly, meaning to compromise the way that they've been called to. And it's no different with you and I. And I would like to, for the sake of um, really what I feel and how we're going to try to land, some of us need our hope in God revived. And what I mean by that is God didn't lie to you. Um, Hear me. Uh, There are some, I'm going to make it local again. There are some who have been sent. And your time here is very particular. The Lord is after something. It's not just random. It wasn't just a coincidental series of events. Uh, It wasn't just like they say, the pizza that you ate the night before, and all of a sudden you got this itch. Um, No, the Lord is after something. And it's in your planting and in your pursuing that God is attempting to develop you so that he can commission you. Because again, not everyone who's here is supposed to be here long term. And I envision the day where the effect of this word is going to radically alter the makeup of us as a body or as a people. Because there are some of us that have submitted ourselves to burial and we've disconnected ourselves from the purpose with which God has been building or conditioning us for. And because we despise our season, because again, we don't appreciate it because it's not conditioned in the way that we feel or want or demand. Because we despise it, we're not being developed in it. Because we despise it, we're not being developed in it. And because we despise it, our hearts are derailed from God's purpose. And when my heart is derailed from God's purpose, I begin to preoccupy myself with other ways to create value in my season. Because God's invitation to plant and pursue and for that to be an ultimate purpose in a particular season is not enough for me. Because I'm unwilling to actually subject myself to the idea that there's more development that needs to happen in my life. And when I will not submit to discipline for development, then I will preoccupy myself with other ways to define value. Because what I'm becoming is no longer enough and therefore I have to find my value in something I'm doing. And so rather than the understanding, God sent me to a particular people to plant me there, to learn a way of life that was going to condition me and develop me so that when God was ready, he could actually recommission me to the destiny that he might have spoke to me. When I don't see it that way, then I get derailed and I get confused and I give way to misunderstanding and I lose all my bearings. And for preoccupation's sake, I come up with another way 
way to create value. And some of us are succeeding at things that God never intended our definition of success to be. And it's because what he asked us to do was not enough. And you can tell, you hear it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You hear it. Well, what did you come here for? Right, I'm sure if you would have asked them out in the wilderness, what are you out here for? Right, on that day when Moses came back down from the mount, he would have looked at them and said, God didn't bring you out here so that you could launch some idol-making business. He didn't bring you out here so that you could start turning jewelry into calves. That's not what he brought you out here for. Your thriving calf-making business is not God's definition of success for you in this season. But because you despise his invitation, because you have an absolute refusal to subject yourself to his leadership, because you're trying to define value in another way other than what it is the purpose is that God revealed to you, you preoccupied yourself and got busy. When you got disconnected from God's leadership, you got busy. And out of your busying, and out of your preoccupying yourself with other things that are fancy now for you to talk about. And Moses comes back down and he's like, God didn't bring you out here so that you could launch some banging calf-making factory. Repent and come back to his leadership because this season isn't supposed to be forever. There's an intended purpose. Now what I mean by that is there is a purpose for those of us that see this as an assignment. And what I mean by that is not everyone is supposed to go, but absolutely there are some that are. But then there are others that recognize our assignment as being part of the influence, our assignment as being part of a discipleship effort, our assignment as being influential in how and the way that the habitation gets built. And we will see ourselves as disciplers and the missional component of our life together, realizing that God is going to send us people so that as we relationally influence them, we can come under God's leadership together so that God can develop them and develop them so that for those that he wants to, deliver them as he commissions them. And there will be those of us that see ourselves as the anchors, the bearings, as a part of the foundation to the work here and the house that God is building. Because not everyone is supposed to go. But regardless of whether we remain or we get released, the idea that together we are to be planted and to be in pursuit is a, it's a way that we can't escape. And he reminds them, God is doing this for a purpose because he wants to be good to you. But in your wandering, you got disconnected from his purpose and his leadership. Now, what is he talking about and where did this originate? This originated in Numbers 13, where initially God speaks to Moses and tells them, send out 12 spies, take from every tribe one leader, and send them over into the land that I've been promising you. And we know the account all too well. Twelve men go, and they return after they investigate the things that God has said. After their investigation, they return with a testimony. And in their testimony, we find that two had discernment and ten were a distraction. 
Now, the text might not clearly say it that way, but it says that two came back with faith, believing the things that God had said. And ten came back filled with fear. And we're looking at all of the circumstantial challenges and considering all of their inability to actually apprehend what it was that God had been saying to them. And this story is very important for our bearings. And the reason that I say that is because two came back full of faith. Two came back with what Numbers 13 considers to be a positive report. Ten came back filled with negativity. Ten came back filled with criticism. Ten came back filled with a lack of faith and an inability to discern what God was doing or how he was actually going to develop them and then deliver them into what it was that he had promised them. Let me encourage you. Be very careful with the counsel that you entertain. It's important in your planting or in your effort to plant and pursue the personnel that you're allowing to influence you. When you flip the page, it says overnight, 10 negative reports influenced more than a million people. Negativity always seems to travel faster than faith. Just like gossip always seems to travel faster than the truth. Overnight, 10 people influenced more than a million, even though there was two who had a positive report. We need to understand that it's important who we're buddying up to and the way that we're allowing the conversation to influence our hearts, pertaining to what God is actually doing, pertaining to the reason with which he has some of us here planted. Um, I would even exhort some of you to be aware and to bring an investigation to the little cliques and the counsel that you're entertaining. Now, I'm not saying this out of any intel or insight, uh, because then I would be a gossip myself. I'm saying this purely out of the place of prayer, that it is imperative for some of us to evaluate the little cliques and the counsel that we've been entertaining, the personnel that we've been allowing to influence our idea of what God is doing. Because if we're not careful, then we end up with personnel that creates distraction because they lack discernment. We end up getting filled with corruption. We end up getting disconnected from God's purpose, all under the pretense of someone who thinks they have insight, someone who thinks that they are aware or sensitive to what God is doing, even though it's rising from a place that is filled with fear. It's rising from a place that is filled with misunderstanding. It's rising from a place that's disconnected from an intimate perspective of God's promise and destiny and his power to actually perform those things. And we find that two came back with the ability to speak with integrity, based off what God was doing. And 10 that lacked integrity. And they lacked integrity because they lacked discernment. Be very aware of the counsel. Be very aware that you're just not buddying up to people that are going to champion your criticisms. Be very aware that you're not just going to entertain personnel that's gonna to subscribe to the same negativity. 
it says that all the children of Israel lifted their voices and wept and wailed. All the children of Israel grumbled against God and against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. All the children of Israel became unified in a conversation of negativity based off a lack of discernment. And even when Joshua and Caleb tried to reorient them to God's purposes, even when Joshua and Caleb tried to realign them and recalibrate them to faith in God and the hope in the things that he had said, it says that all the children of Israel, these are in the first couple of verses of Numbers 14, all the children of Israel rallied together to stone them. It says, and then the glory of God appeared in the tent of meeting. Then the glory of God appeared. The tent of meeting representative of devotion and consecration. For some of us, we need to devote ourselves and consecrate ourselves in order to be able to get our bearings with God's purposes for us in this season. Some of us need to actually get in the tent of meeting so that we can receive our intel and stop giving way to our perspective or even worse, our emotional instabilities. Some of us, for the sake of being planted and being developed, need to actually begin connecting with God in a greater way so that we can apprehend his perspective for what he's doing in this season. Two came back with a positive report. And 10 came back with negativity that corrupted a whole community. I remember the Lord speaking to me years ago when we were in the process of getting a house that we were looking at. And on a day when I was going to look at the house because the Lord was inviting me to do so, I said, Lord, do I have to go alone? As I was sitting in prayer one morning. Anna and the kids were out of town. I said, do I have to go by myself? And the Lord said, no, you don't have to go by yourself. I said, well, can I take someone with me? And he said, for sure. He said, however, don't take anyone with you that's going to speak against what you know I'm speaking to you. Proverbs continually encourages us about the company that we keep. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer great harm. Proverbs 14, 7. Leave the presence of a fool, or you won't actually be able to discern real words of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul's charge would be, bad company corrupts good character. It's important for us that we understand that they lost their bearings in faith because they aligned themselves with a corrupt conversation that they disconnected from God's purpose because they chose the intel through a personnel of sorts, a company. They chose to rally alongside people who couldn't actually see what God was doing. They chose to buddy up with and be influenced by people that didn't have the perspective that God had. And therefore, they wandered. But their wandering was in relationship to the influence that they allowed in their life. Their delay of sorts was because of the distraction that they were entertaining. 
the conditions of it being a longer term than the term that God intended was directly connected to their lack of discernment in knowing what influence to actually come under. And therefore, God says, remember your wanderings, how I had to humble you and test you to find out what was in your heart. He's like, but I was with you and I fed you and I clothed you. Ultimately, so that in the end, I could reveal how good I wanted to be to you. Let me just encourage some of you that God did not lie about things that he said to you. And though you've not been able to connect the dots as to how this season has any particular purpose for the things that God said to you, God is not a man that he would lie. And he's not fickle in his emotions where he's day to day or his emotional makeup to where some days he feels like it and other days he doesn't. He's not a man that he would lie. And our challenge is being brought into a season where we seem disconnected of sorts from things that we know God has promised us or revealed to us pertaining to purposes that we know burn in our hearts. And for those of us who know, and I'll use this type of uh, language, there are other things for us to do. For those of us who know, there are other things for us to do. We can delay our time when we get disconnected from the development that God desires. Because in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas spent more than a year with them, but then they were commissioned out from them. I would suggest for those of us that desire commissioning, those of us who know that the Lord has spoken to us about other places and peoples, nations, hear me, please. There are in front of us seasons where we are going to be exporting people from among us. There are in front of us times and seasons where because of the development that God has been able to bring upon a people, because of the conditioning and the disciplining, because of the real transformation that's been experienced based off of a commitment to a way of life together, where God has gotten our interest in the crucible to conform us to the image of his son, that we are going to begin to export people from our midst, just like Acts 13, 2 and 3 says, where the Holy Spirit will begin to speak, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, only in our Time in our work, it will sound like set apart for me this family or this family. Set apart for me this individual and this family because there's something that I have for them to do. And oh, how I long for the days, not because I'm trying to get rid of anyone, but because I'm trying to actually see God fulfill his purpose that he has upon us as a people. How I long for the days when we are exporting people, where we are sending out lovers and laborers to distant lands and peoples, not to just go do something else and not just to go do their own thing, but to go do, if I could use this verbiage, the habitation thing which is what Paul and Barnabas were jealous to do. They went and planted God's house. 
they went and planted the greenhouse or the habitation. They weren't simply integrating into another culture trying to uh, apprehend some corporate goal. They were coming into a region or a new territory to plant the habitation that had conditioned them to actually experience their commissioning. And it's time to get planted so that God can begin to fulfill his purpose. Because they were there, and they were not just among them, but they were with them. They weren't just there in proximity, yet disconnected in purpose. They were there, planted with them in pursuit. And I long for the day when the leadership of the Spirit begins to speak in the midst of us. And where we corporately begin to lay hands on families. And we start sending collections of families because of the extraordinary work that God has done. Not just in the midst of us as if we're just some other option on the block of a mega church environment. But because of the purpose that God has to develop a transformed people. And then to commission them to plant in other places where we begin laying hands on people and families to send them, sometimes uniquely, individually, and other times together as collections or as a corporate sending, if you would, where we're laying hands on people that God is speaking to based off of the influence of his leadership and sending them to Europe, sending them to Africa, sending them to the Middle East, sending them to the Asian side of the world, sending them to Australia, sending them to Canada, sending them to Central or South America because of God's purpose with us as a people and how the development of us as a people actually connects us with God being able to commission us. And we're not just distracted trying to preoccupy ourselves with all sorts of ulterior interests, but where God is actually seizing or arresting our attention. And we realize that this season has a purpose. And we understand that this season is pivotal to the purpose with which God is going to connect me to. And I don't just want to be here doing anything, but I want to be here doing the thing that God intends for me. And I don't want to get lost and I don't want to be distracted and I don't want to determine success in other ways but I want to be intimately connected to God and what he's doing so that I don't delay the time frame with which God has for me so that I don't delay the time frame you see because it's important to recognize not every season is forever. Seasons come and go. They're like assignments. They shift. They change. And there are things that God intends for you to get, to do, and to become in every season. And if we are not discerning of our season, then we can delay our deliverance of sorts, where deliverance is a positive thing and not a negative thing. Meaning the delivery, which you can't rush it, but you can delay it. And oftentimes what we call an acceleration is just the aligning of our attention and our interests with the things that God is already preoccupied with about us. That's what we would call acceleration, where our interests 
finally aligns with God's interests the way that he desires. That's typically what we would call a breakthrough season, an accelerated season. Now, you can delay it, but you can't accelerate it. But what you can do is align your interests with God's interests in order to experience that deliverance of sorts. And it's just very real to me that not everyone who's with us is supposed to be with us long term. I know that there are those of us in the room who have it in our hearts, the idea of planting in distant places, the idea of reconnecting for some of us, not meaning in an initial way, but for some of us it's a continuation way. That there are those of us in the room that we know certain things that God has said to us. And we're trying to make sense of the moment. Let me encourage you, please do not become distracted. Hear me, it's a wake-up call. Please do not become distracted. Now, if you're sitting in the room and you're like, oh, well, bro, you ain't talking to me because I don't have a desire to go anywhere. Again, regardless of whether you remain or get released, the goal is still the same. Because the goal of wherever I go would be to do what I'm doing right now. That would be the goal. To commit a people to a way of life that would build God's house and transform them as a people. That would be the goal. That's the mission that demands all of our lives that is irreverent of sorts of our individual particular assignments as we like to identify with. It's a wake-up call. For some, we've wandered round the mount too long. Hear me. Now, if you're visiting today, I'm sorry. This is not necessarily for you. I mean, or maybe it is because, I mean, you're obviously here and God wanted you here. It's a wake-up call. You've wandered round the mount too long. You've wandered round the mount too long. It's time to disconnect from the influence that is keeping you from God's purpose. It's time to get anchored and to get planted. And for those of us who instead of being planted simply see ourselves as buried, it's time to be raised from the dead and to get back in the game. Getting back in the game meaning connected to God and intimately aligned with his interests. It's time to offload our preoccupations with all of these other ways to define success in our season. It's time to offload the idol making. It's time, it's time. He says, you've wandered this mount for too long. It's time to head up from here. I see the consequence. I see the consequence of the Lord connecting people and commissioning people. I see the consequence of God actually doing the things that he said he would do in our lives. I'm going to ask us if we would 
all just together stand for a moment. We're going to pray. And even as you stand, I'm going to ask you to gather the word of the Lord in your heart. I'm going to ask you to gather the word of the Lord. Gather it in a sober way. Not without all of what is typically our criticisms, what is usually in the consideration of God's purposes and his power to perform those things, all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of the ways that possibly we become corrupted over time because of either influence that we've submitted our heart to or just the circumstantial stuff that if it persists long enough does a good enough job at seeking to derail us from our devotion to God and the things that he said. But let's gather the word of the Lord in our hearts.